0: Good morning, this is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Professor Scott Levin has taken the traditional college poetry class and added an interesting twist for his Fordham students. His course, Rock, Rap, and the Poetic Tradition, takes the poetry of writers like William Blake, Langston Hughes, and T.S. Eliot and combines them with musicians such as Nirvana, Eminem, and Bob Dylan. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Robin. Thanks so much for having me. Now, how do you use both contemporary music and traditional poetry in your class? Well,
1: one of the things I, I really like to do was, I, I mean, from the beginning, this class it was an experiment. And I, I knew that it was going to be something different. And I was uncertain of what to do. Um, but what I have found is, and what I've always found, is that sometimes reading poetry through other poets or reading artists through other artists as opposed to what the critic says or what the journalist says or what the scholar says, Um, it offers a refreshing perspective and a different perspective. And so what I wanted to really do is not necessarily look at these poets, but look at these artists, musicians, and how looking at them through the lens of poetry can help us understand uh, something different about what they're doing with their music, with their art. And so far it's been working fairly well.
0: And this is a new course, correct?
1: Yes, this is a new course. So how
0: was it developed?
1: Uh it developed when associate chair Maria Farland asked me kind of out of the blue in the fall if I could come up with something a little more appealing, something that, you know, maybe a little sexier for the uh, the English majors and uh I, I wasn't sure what to do at first. I went home and I remember cooking dinner and I, I was just listening to music in the background. And I was like, you know what? In my freshman composition class that same day, I was teaching lyrics by Pearl Jam. And it's something I've done in the past. I've brought in music lyrics to go alongside poetry, and we, we, we've looked at them together, To and without telling my students, mostly freshmen, where these texts come from. We'll just look at a, an excerpt from William Wordsworth, or, or and like I said, in Pearl Jam, and, and I won't tell them where these texts are coming from, and then I'll ask them what they think. And I'll ask them if what they can tell contextually from the way the words are structured. Maybe what they can tell about the dates. And it's very much a, a close reading. And um I was surprised to find how many students sometimes prefer the poetry to the music, which was funny. So I was like, you know what, I would like to do this together as a larger part of of just one singular course.
0: So the students wouldn't recognize the Nirvana? Would not.
1: Sometimes they would would prefer a uh, a obscure sonnet by someone like Charlotte Smith, a non-canonical female poet of the late 18th, early 19th century, and that's always fun when I say, all right, well, you just Pushed aside Eminem for Charlotte Smith. What do you think of that? And uh, I think that those were the seeds of this class probably began. And in my freshman writing class, where you know we really tend to do a lot of close reading of texts and. because of that, I figured, you know, I would love to make this a, a larger course.
0: Now, you mentioned Pearl Jam, who's one of the artists that you use in mm-hmm. your class, rock, rap, and poetic tradition. Who else? Give me some of the names that well, you use Well,
1: what in I your class. really wanted to do is... <sighs> I, I wanted, yes, I use Dylan, but I use a Dylan song that no one's probably even ever heard of. Well, that's I, a good thing. something from his basement tapes from uh, recordings up in Big Pink. Uh, that, uh, it's called I'm Not There, which was the title song of the movie I'm Not There, which we also watched in class. And the reason why is I, I really wanted to get away from, I, I mean, how many times have we read The Times Era Changing? All right, uh, I wanted to get away from some of the more typical songs that these students would have been introduced to already or have heard from or heard of and so I what I wanted to do is bring in Artists that you you wouldn't expect. Um, I brought in, I also brought in stuff that I was unfamiliar with. It wasn't just, I mean, if it was me, it just would have been Guns N' Roses and Pearl Jam, which would have gotten redundant for these students. Uh, So I really went to a couple uh, outside sources, some friends of mine that are into, you know, some more indie hipster music, and introduced me to bands like uh... built a spill and arcade fire arcade fire has been phenomenal in the classroom and uh, the lead singer win butler he went to college and he studied english and creative writing and we looked at a song like we used to wait which really connects with traditional romantic concepts of the movement from innocence to experience and how to deal with the past uh, and, so would you
0: take the whole Arcade Fire song or would oh, you take yeah. just pieces of it? Just the whole uh, song? The whole
1: song and we'd look at it. We, we This particular song we looked uh, at next to uh, William Wordsworth's lines written a few miles above Tintern Abbey where Wordsworth is talking about dealing with the idea of maturity and losing innocence and what he had as a child, which, well, he would call uh, days of thoughtless youth, and then his maturity where he started to understand those days. And the the We Used to Wait song by Arcade Fire, very similar.
0: Very similar
1: a very similar movement from this sense of not appreciating and understanding the little things you have as adolescents and coming to terms with those things that, you, by the way, you're no longer going to have as an
0: adult. So how did your students react to these, <clears throat> let's take particularly the Arcade Fire mm-hmm. um, lyrics, because they're sort of still going through this right now. They're yeah. still evolving and changing. So how did they relate? What, how did they respond?
1: I think for them, and sometimes students have such a, a, you know, young people in general have such a a visceral reaction to music, stuff that they're very close with. So I think that was important. I mean, that that, it's tough to get that same type of emotional response from a lot of students in in accord to Wordsworth and Coleridge or T.S. Eliot. But I know that a lot of them are going to have this reaction and have this very close tie to bands like the Arcade Fire and Radiohead. Uh, and, and so to to show them the the through line between these artists and traditional poetry is not only going to make them understand these artists in, in, through a a new perspective but also at the same time come and say, "Oh wait a minute, maybe I should uh read some more poetry." Or oh, look at the lyrics a little bit <laughs> yeah, deeper also yeah, exactly it'll it'll offer i mean not how many times do we really spend a lot of time?" going over the lyrics. Uh, we, We just kind of, you know, sit there and sometimes, you know, in our car sing, but I mean, are we really paying attention? And a class like this sometimes, I think, makes them say, maybe I should uh, take a little more time and look at these lyrics.
0: Did uh, everybody recognize <laughs> that they were Arcade Fire lyrics? Or- oh, oh, yeah. But <laughs> the, the,
1: the, here they knew. This okay. was not like my freshman class where I where take everything out of context mm-hmm. and just give them the, the, the pure naked poetry. Um, here they, they had the background. They knew who the artists were. Um, when I was planning the class, I, I simultaneously was reading uh, Jay-Z's new book called Decoded, uh, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal book because it, first of all, it, it, it's it's reading literary theory. It really is. He equates the MC to a good poet. He equates rap to poetry. Um, and in doing so, he has this wonderful line where he says, you know, you can't just half listen to a song and think you've got it. Uh, and that's kind of the point of what my, my, my class is about, the, the various levels and subtexts to poetic language, to music.
0: This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon talking about the Fordham class, rock, rap, and the poetic tradition. It's where Professor Scott Levin uses classic poetry alongside contemporary music as an interesting way to teach Fordham students poetry. So Scott, you have these poets and you have these musicians and you use them with themes or do you use them in conjunction with particular... Do you team up poets yeah, yeah, and musicians? That's a,
1: a good question. And that's something I've been toying with the whole time. And uh, sometimes I look at very specific poetic tropes or traits that have been been used like in the early 20th century we had the whole Imagist movement with Ezra Pound and uh, poets like T.S. Eliot and Wallace Stevens um, where it's now really... first tell me about that movement oh yeah yeah, yeah that's where I'm going <laughs> which is really about breaking away from traditional storytelling and narrative kind of sometimes completely taking away the role of the speaker and focusing more on things on objects on naked metaphor which really, in this sense, I mean, puts most of the power in the reader's hands. You have to work to figure this stuff out. Yeah, an example. What the, well, the one that really seemed to work out well was uh, Wallace Stevens' uh, "Emperor of Ice Cream," which is this just very weird avant-garde image, um, playful image of a funeral, um, and at the, I mean, the title, the Emperor of Ice Cream, and these this just sense of dissonance of of death, but also this this almost youthful pleasure, um, this, this sense of appetite o- along with death. And he kind of very much toying with the idea of the negative capability and um, the, the, the sense of, oh, that is it is very much death and the idea that things are temporal, which makes the moment that important. So again, again a focus on specifics, a focus on particulars.
0: Now, I'm not familiar now, with that particular poem, though. Okay. So could you, do, do you, could you recite some of it?
1: it? It has what I think is one of the, 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 the great lines in, in 20th century um, poetry, which is, uh, let be the finale of seem." I'll repeat that. Let be. Be finale of seem. Meaning, Um, meaning uh, the 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 seeming and the artificiality that often comes along with with existence and with experience. Those are the things you kind of have to get away from. And the 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 role of the poem in an obvious and I think the the avant garde poet um, is to, in a sense, burst through that artificiality for again let be. Uh, to be pure, naked existence. Um, And we read this in conjunction with Radiohead's 2 plus 2 equaling 5, which, again, uh, it's an imagist piece of music. uh, And uh, the the narrative is complex.
0: The use of this can be
1: in a multifarious faction, the use of the title, um, and the way that Tom York utilizes the very notion, well, at first you can think that it, it's very much about the Orwellian idea of a kind of hegemonic social structure placing value and meaning on the, the, the rest of us, on the herd, strictly through what they value, And it could be as absurd as something is 2 plus 2 equaling 5, which makes no sense. Right. But because they say it's so, we're going to follow it. Um, so that's one way that you that the text can the text being the Radiohead song can certainly be read um, another way it can also be read is by the the, the notion and there is an underground feel to this, sense like notes from the underground of a speaker resorting to this this retreating from social consciousness to a place where 2 plus 2 always equals 5 as he says um, a place where we there's are
0: not there's no conformity
1: uh, a, a lack of conformity a place where you don't have to conform in a place where you can be capricious, where you could be impulsive. That's very much part of us, just as much as reason, logic, everything else.
0: How are you trying to challenge them in what they're reading?
1: Yeah, I think that's what happens when you bring the poetry in there, is that they think to themselves, wait a minute, I never saw it this way. Um, And that's been what's the the, the best part of the class so far.
0: Scott, in connecting both the poetry and the music, do you find your students understand the cultural construct of some of the poets and where they were at that time? Or do you do that in class? Do you have to explain it to
1: them? Yeah, every time we move on to a new section, there's a little bit of a brief lecture uh, giving them historical context um, and giving them a little bit of biography. You need to have, Robin, a a, a little bit of background, um, but there are some people that like to say just look at the background and just look at the historical context and just look at the the, the culture and uh, prioritize that in terms of the art um, and I think that that's it can be problematic um, and also a, a little bit narrow and for instance when we recently turned to rap which has so traditionally been a product of its environment um, and the, which is correct I'm not saying it's not a product of its environment, but offering my students the ability to say, all right, you know what, let's look at this through a different perspective, though. Let's so what are this. some of the artists you look at? Well, rap artists. We, we just went over N.W.A. and their extremely controversial first album, Straight out of Compton, and their very controversial song about, um, uh, a word I won't use, the police. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at that, yes, bringing into the conversation the, the, the notion of, what was going on in South Central Los Angeles at the time? Well, tell us. In in South Central Los Angeles, it was it was gang warfare. The movie uh, Boys in the Hood it's wonderfully John depicted Singleton. this. John Singleton, um, the, the whole idea of how the, the young African American youth—I mean, most of them were dead by sixteen—and um, it was just just a, a terrible time. Um, what a album like Straight Out of Compton did, and a song like again, Blank the Police. Um, Was expose a public, or expose part of a a setting to a public that otherwise was not interested in seeing it. And this is where we, in in the classroom, talk about the difference between everyday language and poetic language. Um, Poetry, uh, art is sometimes a, a medium to to do certain things or to express certain emotions or certain ideas that everyday language simply fails to do. Um it's more dramatic. Uh it's dramatic yeah and in this sense one of my students when we were looking at the NWA lyrics was like, "Well, did they have to be so explicit? Couldn't they've made the same point?" And one of my other students said, "Well, no, if the language wasn't so raw, so primal, um it probably wouldn't have been exposed." One of my other students said, "And that's what makes it poetic." And I just sat there smiling, listening to the whole thing, because that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted them to hear. And that's one of those moments where I was like, all right, good, they got it. Mm -hmm. Um, Why I'm bringing these texts together, why I'm talking about poetry next to... Uh, something like N.W.A. and rap music.
0: Do you think that they thought that far, though, as a teacher? Do you think that um, uh, Eazy-E, who was in the group, and, and Dr. Dre, did they th- or is that the only language they knew and the only way they knew how to express themselves? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I think for them
1: it was they were just expressing language as honestly as they could. This was the language that was around. And this goes back to what I was saying about, you know, the, the importance of their culture and where they were coming from. That was the language of the street. Um, no doubt about it. Um, and that's, again, the language that, you know, when my poor mother saw me driving around in her car at 16 years old, rapping these lyrics, it scared her and probably scared a lot of parents. Um, and that's the point. Uh, it, it's, it's aggressive. Supposed, it's it's aggressive, young. It's supposed it's... to get your attention, and if they would have taken the time to be prudent and say, "Hey, you know, we can say this," you know, a little more politely, uh, it wouldn't have had that uh, the word you used aggressive feel, but it probably wouldn't have had that effect that that sense of grabbing a hold of a, a readership
0: or in this case a, uh, a listener. Um, so what poetry do you t- take and use with that theme of, of aggressive culture or... Uh... Uh, I looked at Langston Hughes' poem Harlem, which is so
1: phenomenal because it ends with the very notion of Harlem, in a sense, being overlooked, a place being marginalized, a place that, that is ready to burst, and he ends it with an image of explosion. Uh, of bursting through. And so you get this notion of, uh, wait a minute, poetry is about taking something that has been overlooked, taking something that is marginalized, all right, and somehow driving that into the readership's consciousness. And how do you do that? And, and Hughes did it with, again, this wonderful bursting imagery. What was the um, imagery? He ends with this this question of maybe it just sags like a heavy load, it being... Harlem or the environment uh and then the final Im- image that he gives in in italics or does it explode It is a literal explosion Robin um And, and he's
0: referring to well, Langston Hughes is referring to He doesn't the title's
1: Harlem of the very short poem but like a lot of poets he he offers us just it a very indefinite pronoun mm-hmm. um which we can playfully use and he's talking about Um,
0: the culture of the what 1920s 1920s? 19
1: it was written in 1951 but the whole harlem renaissance is what he's referring to Mm -hmm. this idea of rebirth um this idea of an explosion of of something new Mm -hmm. um and again something i think more importantly than something new something that's been overlooked just like going to compton in 1987 uh, something that has been overlooked how do you get it recognized through an explosion in their case an explosion of language very raw language mm-hmm. uh, and that offers them a way of, I mean and again I don't know if EZE or Dr. Dre or Cube or MC Ren um, or DJ Yella Red Langston Hughes I'm not sure um, but they're they're using a, a very traditional trait of using language as the the means of like I said before um, bursting through a, a social consciousness that was beforehand unaware of their very existence
0: Scott, as the teacher of this this particular new Fordham class, Rock Rap and Poetic Tradition, how did you know which songs you wanted to use uh, to go in conjunction with the poetry that you wanted to use? What did you pick first, the poetry or the music? That was my summer. <laughs> um,
1: and it, I spent a lot of time trying more than anything to just offer them a wide variety of music like i said before i didn't want to just give them all right here's led zeppelin here's bob dylan here are the beatles here's joan baez here's the you know the the canon of and of contemporary music uh so th- that's kind of what it was about just trying to looking at as much music as as possible and getting it in a sense away from my comfort zone um like I, I, if I, I could have been doing this whole class on Pearl Jam and Guns N' Roses, and there's no Guns N' Roses on the syllabus, um, there is yeah, a couple Pearl Jam. Is that because songs. you don't like their latest album. Uh, uh,
0: <laughs> they died in
1: 1992 for me. Um, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I get very emotional. <laughs> but but with that said, with that said, I went to to to, to friends and to students about what they would like to to see on a syllabus. I, I went to a couple of fellow professors, what they would like to see in uh, on a syllabus like this. And like I said, getting out of your comfort zone um, is not just good for the students, but it's good for me. Um, challenges you, it right? It challenges
0: me. Uh, it, it makes me really focus on what I'm going to bring into the classroom. What the, songs, uh, Scott, what songs and or poets did your students seem to respond best to was it people that they knew already or was it people that they didn't know or was it themes
1: it's been, I've gotten all kinds of responses, um, some of them being uh, I, I, I never thought of Metallica as poetic, <laughs> and, which was a, a great response. Um, which song did you use by Metallica? I, I used Wherever I May Roam, and uh, I was using it in conjunction with the, the whole Kurt Cobain searching for identity and uh, Lord Byron searching for identity and where to express identity and uh, and because it, it very much has the same tenor of in the, of breaking away from... Social consciousness um, and defining yourself simply as yourself, falling in the Jack Kerouac on the road tradition. Uh, he, he, I mean, one of the great lines: uh, I, "I redefine anywhere," uh, which I just love, when we talked about in class. they were the most polarizing um of any artist i brought in there uh, and i think they were the most difficult to present to my students uh because you have students and obviously like i said that they, they have very visceral connections to their to bands and artists and they see some of them who see a very aggressive i mean it's speed metal it's mm-hmm. uh, it's metal um and they see this they're, they're turned off by it simply because of ethos um, they don't want to look at the the words because of the 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 character of of this type of music. Um, so I had some of them that were very surprised, and some of them that just kind of, in a very highbrow manner, rolled their eyes. Which is going to happen, all right? It, it's going to happen, um, and you, you you do the best you can, and then you get those those students in there that love Metallica and love metal. They were like, oh, I can't believe it. Metallica was brought into the classroom, um, and they were excited by it. Um, and, and I mean, I had one particular student that really thanked me after class because he's like, you know what, the, we, we we've been dealing with a lot of this. You know, bands like Radiohead, who people love to talk about because they fit the part. These uh, very unthreatening boys from Oxford. I mean, the guitarist, his name's Johnny Greenwood. He sounds like he should be a character out of a Jane Austen novel. <laughs> and so they fit the part. you are gonna residency. talk Yes, exactly. You're going to talk
0: uh, about them in terms of literature and the and the literary tradition. Um, and, then you and you get... even said that about Dylan too, which I found interesting because I was thinking the same thing. I'm yeah. thinking Dylan has been analyzed so forever and a day, yeah. but you said that you took some of the you know underground tapes. So yeah. which ones did you use? This
1: is the last thing on my syllabus. And the, 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 the last thing on my syllabus so far before we get into to be decided is um, poetry slash music that, um, that thrives on ambiguity. Uh, there oh, are no, that's hard there are no <laughs> yes there are no lyrics to this song I'm not there there are no off th- th- there's no authority that says these are the exact lyrics and when you try and listen to the song yeah you get some of it but then you get yeah, I mean it's Dylan so there's a lot that you're not necessarily going to catch on to and so there have been so many critics and, and and scholars who have looked at this tried to figure out what exactly he is saying now and I- I'm not there. So I, I think that's his point that, you know, you may be, or one of the points, you, you can try all you want, just like the movie. You can try and throw a category on me. Folk singer, uh, electronic musician, activist, um, voice of the people. Uh, and he's none of these things. At the same time, he's all of these things. Uh, and so ambiguity becomes not just the key to his this ident- sense of identity, but I mean that's the it's the very point of why we uh use use poetry at the same time, there's nothing certain about it one of your initial questions uh is there a right answer No, um and I, that's it's the most rhetorical of all linguistic tools poetry um, metaphor uh
0: because uh, it's about what we can do with it um and it makes it a human endeavor. So, Scott, what three artists are on your iPod or in your CD player right now? Wow. Um,
1: Wow, wow, wow. How am I going to get myself in trouble today? (laughs) Let's see. Uh, Right now, I am listening to uh, an album called Trace Mountains. I'm sorry, a band called Trace Mountains, uh, which is uh, the lead singer of King's X. Uh, late 80s, early 90s band who uh, the bassist from Pearl Jam, Jeff Ament, credited for being one of the originators of the grunge movement. And so they're in a band together. Um, and and I'm liking some of it. Uh, it, it has... I'm, I still look for an aggressive type of music, a guitar-driven type of music. Um, an ability to not be afraid of performing. Um... And that's why, next to that, um, I'm still listening to a lot of Arcade Fire right now because I recently saw a YouTube clip of Win Butler at one of his concerts. And the thing with, with indie music and sometimes what's called hipster music is it gets a bad rap of having... Singers, songwriters who are just you know they they don't want to follow in the traditional rock star mode. They 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 want to be reticent. They just kind of want to sit up there and on stage and sing and that that's it. Uh, this guy goes crazy at his concerts. It's phenomenal. He stage dives. He runs into the crowd. He's a showman. Um, so he's a performer as well, which I again I like to see that. Well, I often critique those who are too much of performers without some sort of substance. Yeah, I think substance is the key word. Mm-hmm. Um, Here's the third. This one has um, been on my iPod the last couple months. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to say this and uh, I'm going to take some heat for this. And because, first of all, I'm bringing this up because it's caused wonderful conversations in my classroom. Um, brace yourself, Robin. I have on my iPod right now, which I've been listening a lot to, uh, The Pretty Reckless, who you've probably never heard of. Uh, the lead singer is 17-year-old Taylor Momsen
0: from Gossip Girl.
1: And i, I, well, I I've dis- heard of them at,
0: in reference <laughs> to, to her, because <laughs> I think she was in some kind of concert recently. I was in
1: attendance, and I was very happy to note that it wasn't just a bunch of teenage girls like going to a
0: gossip girl concert, but it was a phenomenal crowd. so of this rockers. I have to ask you because this, so many uh, people seem to like her, like, you know, not teeny <sighs> boppers, but so many she, people so, what is it about her in this, this band? This
1: is i i'll I'll, I'll tell you why It's refreshing. Uh, she at first, I, I think, and I'm still trying to come to terms with this. I'm not sure. I might, it, it's, I, i I'll...
0: Is it your guilty pleasure? No, it's not a it's guilty, not pleasure. guilty pleasure. Not your guilty pleasure. Really
1: not because it's good. It's, it's good. But when I first saw her, I was wondering if she was just a construct because she came out there, very looking very rock and roll and all of this. Uh, eye makeup and dark looking and there's mm-hmm. very you know and she's very taboo because she's scantily clad and so she has this very lolita type appeal um but she rocks me, drink my soul Show me all the things that i shouldn't know when there's a on the right. i had everything opportunities for eternity
0: Since this interview, Scott Levin has taken a teaching position at Louisiana Tech University and says he's sure the popularity of the course Rock, Rap, and the Poetic Tradition will lead to other Fordham professors using more pop culture and traditionally non-literary text in the classroom. Stay with us. George Bodarki and CityScaper next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.